Lord Jesus, we know that the only way that we can find rest is if we turn to you. So, Lord, we ask that you would please open your word to us this morning and teach us from it so that we can find the peace and the rest that you promise. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Several years ago, there was a country song on the radio, and don't worry, I'm not going to sing it. It would be inappropriate to go from Beethoven to me. The song went, the chorus went, I'm in a hurry to get things done. I just rush and rush until life's no fun. All I really got to do is live and die, but I'm in a hurry and I don't know why. You ever feel like that? That you're just rushed and have too much to do? You know, take the kids to soccer practice, get the project at work done, go to the meeting at church, get the car fixed, go to the doctor. I mean, it's just endless. And in the middle of all that rushing, I think the best word in the English language is rest. Now, right now, some of you might be thinking, rest, it sounds so wonderful, so refreshing, how cruel, how sadistic of you to even mention it. I can't possibly rest. I have way too much to do. What would happen if I rested? Everything would fall apart. This fall, we're going to look at the biblical concept of the year of Jubilee and what that would mean for us as a church and as individuals. And Sabbath rest was a big part of this biblical year of Jubilee. Hebrew time was divided into cycles of seven. Every seventh day was meant to be a day of rest. Every seventh year was meant to be a sabbatical year, a year of rest. And after seven cycles of seven sabbatical years, that is, in the 50th year, there was supposed to be a year of jubilee. And in that year, all debts were canceled, slaves were set free, all property was returned to its original owners, and everyone took the year off. Isn't that cool? You weren't supposed to work, you were supposed to rest. The Jubilee year was a time to give freedom to the oppressed, give back to the poor, and give rest to the weary. In 2005, starting in January, we as a church will celebrate our 50th year. And we want to make that a year of Jubilee for us as individuals and as a congregation. And in the next couple weeks, I'm going to be talking about what living a Jubilee life would look like. And one of the things it would mean is that we would take Sabbath rest very seriously. Now, I think that is one of the most countercultural, radical things we could do in our society, is to observe Sabbath rest. Because we are a very busy culture, and we like it that way. Fast food, high-speed internet, microwave ovens. Between work, kids, school, church activities, civic organizations, we're just slammed. And you retired people, I think you're busier than any of us. My dad retired years ago, and his calendar is booked for months in advance. Now, before I go any further, let me just confess up front that on this topic of rest, I am a hypocrite. It's not surprising. I'm a hypocrite on most things that I preach about. (laughs) But on this one, I'm really a hypocrite. I work a lot of hours every week. Sometimes don't even take a day off, and I'm always rushing to the next thing. Why do you think I talk so fast? I'm trying to cram it all in. (laughs) Now, part of it is there's just a lot to get done in ministry. 
One person's spiritual needs are infinite. There are 3,000 of you. My job description is 3,000 times infinity. I got to get going. (laughs) And like all of you, if I don't get those things done, there are some real consequences to be paid. But there's also something less noble about my busyness. Truth be told, I'm proud of how busy I am. What's really sick, I'm proud to have just told you how busy I am. And I'm really glad to preach this sermon. It gives me an excuse to talk about how busy I am. There's something about telling people how busy I am that makes me feel important. It kind of puffs me up. I like to talk about how I couldn't possibly slow down because so much depends on me. Without my anxious presence, this church would fall apart. I am the Hercules that holds this world aloft on my shoulders. And I like to be busy because you are busy. And I like to keep up. I'm in competition. I want to impress you so you don't think I only work one day a week. So I complain about being busy. But what I'm really doing is bragging. Which is kind of strange if you think about it. Because observing the Sabbath is one of God's main commandments, number four on his top ten list. And while we would never brag about breaking any of the other nine, we'll boast about breaking the fourth commandment. You know, if somebody asks you how you're doing, what's a common response? I'm busy. You've done this before. I'm busy, right? But, but if someone asks you how you're doing, you would never say, oh, just making some graven images. <laughs> Killed a couple people, too. Other than that, not too much. Right? We would never brag about breaking the other nine commandments, but we will break the fourth one and be proud of it. And what do we get for all our busyness? Stress, pressure, fear, and loneliness because we don't have time to make any real relationships. Friends, God dreams a bigger dream for us than that. That's why he says to take at least one full day off every week. That's why he instituted the Jubilee year, hoping that at least once every 50 years, folks would slow down. Slow down so that we can connect with God. Slow down so that we can build real friendships. Slow down so that we can have time to serve God and serve others in a way that brings us joy and connects us to things that are eternal. But how can we possibly slow down? How can we possibly rest when we've got so very much to do? Great question. Glad you asked it. Two things. The first key to finding Sabbath rest is that we have to trust that God will provide. We have to trust that God is sufficient to take care of us. In the passage out of Hebrews, the author refers to an incident in the Old Testament where the Israelites had finally reached the promised land, but they were afraid to go in because they saw giants in the land. And they didn't believe that God was sufficient to defeat the giants. So they didn't get to go in and had to wander another 40 years in the desert. In other words, because they didn't believe that God's power was sufficient to sustain them, they were not able to rest from their wandering. And I think it's the same with us. The reason we're so busy is that we don't really trust that God's work in our lives is sufficient to take care of us. We're afraid that if we slow down, everything's going to fall apart. The boss is going to be unhappy. The friends will be unhappy. The kids will freak out. Everything's going to be terrible. I'll look weak. I'll look lazy. 
But the question Sabbath asks is, do you trust that God's work is sufficient to take care of you and to get you where he wants you to be? Maybe not where you want to be, but get you where he wants you to be. God's work is sufficient. That's why God himself rests on the seventh day of creation. Not because he's tired. You know, whew, that took a lot out of me. No, he rests on the seventh day because his work is complete. It is sufficient. It's all that it needs to be. God himself does not show up at the office every day. Why do we think we need to? Sabbath means trusting that, trusting God that if we take time off, either one of two things will happen. Either God will get everything done that needs to get done, or what doesn't get, to need, what doesn't get done, we can probably assume didn't need to get done for us to become and do what God wanted us to do. Now, my wife understands this principle way better than me because she understands everything way better than me. (laughs) Before we had kids, she worked as a manager at Hewlett-Packard. Now, she worked very hard, but she never gave that job more than its due. And she had to train lots of her bosses that she was not going to work overtime unless absolutely, absolutely necessary and that she was never going to let that job interfere with our marriage, our spiritual life, or at the time, our ministry to students. Those things came first. Now, as a result, she probably didn't climb as high on the corporate ladder as she might have. That's true. But none of that stopped her from getting to the places that God wanted her to be in. She did get some promotions over the years, the ones God wanted her to have. And more importantly, along the way, she had time for God, time for our family and friends, and time for ministry. She trusted that God's work in her life was sufficient to take care of her and to get her where God wanted her to be. When we trust that, we can rest. We can let it go. The second way to get to Sabbath rest, and this is a little deeper, the second way we find Sabbath rest is we need to trust in the completed work of the cross. You know, a lot of what drives our busyness is we're trying to justify ourselves to somebody, even if it's to ourselves. We think if we work really hard, then people will like us or we'll prove ourselves acceptable. And when I work all those hours, what I'm really trying to do is redeem myself by my own redemption in a way. Prove that I'm acceptable, that I'm worthy by how much I produce or how much I do. But Sabbath says that we can stop that. We can stop believing that our significance depends on how much we achieve. Stop trying to earn our own redemption in God's eyes or other people's eyes through all of our hard work. Jesus' Jesus' work on the cross is completed, is sufficient. That's what justifies us, nothing else. And what Jesus says to us is, you are valuable, not because you work so much, but because I died for you. I paid a high price for you. And I will never leave you or forsake you. And nothing can stop my purposes in your life. So you can rest from all of your frantic efforts to justify yourself. God's work is more than sufficient to justify us, and it is more than sufficient to take care of us. Okay, enough theology. Practically speaking, how do we apply this in our life? What does this look like practically? Does this mean we just don't do anything? We just sort of sit around? Hey, God's sufficient. No, I don't think that's what it says. God says six days out of seven you shall work, but the seventh you will keep holy. That is, the Bible is very realistic. It knows that most of our time will be devoted to earning our bread. So Sabbath doesn't mean laziness. What it does mean, though, is that we work hard on all of our assigned tasks, and when the time comes, we stop. 
we stop trusting that God will make sure that everything that needs to get done will get done. And what doesn't get done probably wasn't essential in the first place. Work hard and then stop trusting God with the rest. The second thing we do is we keep the Sabbath holy. And I think that means more than just taking a day off to plop on the couch with the remote in hand, right? I'm keeping the Sabbath holy. Leave me alone. You know, not so much, no. What Sabbath, Sabbath means is that if six days out of seven will be devoted to the material world, getting food, education, activities, money, all things that will pass away, if six days out of seven are devoted to the material world, at least one day out of seven should be devoted to things that are eternal. To keep the Sabbath holy means that we spend at least one-seventh of our life rising above the plane of ordinary experience to do things of eternal significance that restores our soul. Things like worship, prayer, scripture, time with friends, and time to serve God and serve others because serving God and others is very important to connecting to the eternal. At least one-seventh of life should be devoted to the eternal. And probably not just one in seven days. That would be the letter of the law, but not the spirit. Probably one in seven hours, one in seven minutes, should rise above the ordinary and sail into the eternal if we are going to be whole, joy-filled people. Which brings me to the third practical suggestion. First is, work hard, then stop. Second is, keep the Sabbath holy, invest in the eternal. Third If you're too busy to rise above the plane of the ordinary and connect to the eternal, you're just kind of stuck down there on the ordinary. If you're too busy to do that, cut it out. Cut something out of your schedule. Christina and I have been going through our calendar all summer and ruthlessly pruning. What activities can you cut? What relationships do you want to invest in and which ones don't you? Because frankly, you can't keep them all up. Maybe it's a church activity you need to cut. I'm giving you permission. My staff just went crazy. You guys need to stay. Other than them. You need to be here at worship. That is essential to connecting to God. So you need to be here at worship, but maybe there's another activity that needs to go out of your schedule. We have friends who limit their kids to two activities per year. Those of you with teenagers are probably gasping. Two activities per year. And I know that's hard. Holly just started kindergarten, and already we feel the pressure. Do this, do that, do everything. But limiting our kids' activities helps them learn how to make choices in life rather than trying to do it all. And it makes everybody's life saner. If you are too busy to worship God, if you are too busy to serve others in a way that gives you joy and connects you to the eternal, cut something out. Now, I know all of this is hard, and I know that just the thought of it seems impossible, right? Like, what will happen if I cut something out? Well, I mean, won't everything fall apart, my career, my social life? What, what, what's going to happen? I know, I know, I understand all of those anxieties. Believe me, as an anxious, performance-driven, workaholic eldest child, I get it. And it couldn't have been any easier for Israel back in the day. I mean, in an agrarian economy to let the field lie fallow for a year? Can you imagine? It's hard. But God's work is more than sufficient to take care of us. And when we act as if that were true, not just believe it up here, but really act as if God were sufficient, we find rest and joy. Because we become people who regularly 
rise above the ordinary, and connect to what's eternal. A colleague of mine at Princeton was studying for her Ph.D. defense. And she, had, she was married and she had kids, so she decided that she was going to observe the Sabbath. Six-sevenths of her time she would devote to studying, and one-seventh to Sabbath, to eternal things like worship, family, friendships, and serving God and serving others. Now, of course, all of her fellow Princetonians said, no, 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 no. Such a thing is definitely contraindicated at a place like Princeton. No, no, it'll be terrible. But she did it anyway. Well, finally, the day of her exam came, and she really blew it. She did a terrible job. It was a disaster. So after she was done, the committee asked her to step out of the room while they decided whether or not they were going to pass her. And she waited for an hour, which is a very long time. Finally, her advisor came out and said, that was terrible. You did a terrible job. You barely passed. I mean, they passed you, but just just by the skin of your teeth, it was just barely. And she said, I knew it. I knew I should have worked harder. And her advisor said, yeah, you might want to think about that because you know what we call people around here who barely pass their Ph.D. defense, don't you? And she said, no, what do you call them? And he said, doctor. Congratulations, doctor. Today she teaches in a university doing exactly what God called her to do. How much is enough? How much is enough? God's work was sufficient to get her where she needed to be. And because she acted as if that were true, not just believed it, acted as if it were true, she got rest and got to invest her life in things of eternal significance. And yeah, she had some embarrassment that she didn't ace the exam, but here's the deal. The God of the universe thinks she's valuable enough to die for her. Who cares what some professor in Princeton thinks, right? God's work is always enough. As we go into another busy fall, as we head toward our jubilee year, how can you find Sabbath rest? What things might you need to cut out of your schedule? What things might you need to add in order to connect to things that are eternal? Are you tired today? Do you feel like your life is just a constant race trying to cover all the bases and you're losing? That is God's way of telling you to come to him and trust that he is more than sufficient to take care of your needs. You see, our weariness is a sign from God, and it is meant to point us straight to Jesus, the only one who can really give us rest. George Herbert 17th century poet wrote a poem I just love called The Pulley. And it's about how at creation, God gives Adam every blessing in the world except for one. He holds back rest so that Adam will have to go to God to find it. And the poem goes like this. When God at first made man, having a jar of blessings standing by, let us, said he, pour on him all we can. Let the world's vast riches which dispersed lie contract into a span. So goodness flowed, then wisdom, honor, pleasure. But when almost all was out, God made a stay, perceiving that alone of all his treasure rest in the bottom lay. For should I, said he, bestow this gift also on my creature, then he would rest in nature and not the God of nature, so both would losers be. Therefore, let him keep the rest but keep them with repining restlessness. Let him be rich, but weary. That if goodness lead him not, then weariness 
shall toss him to my breast. If our goodness isn't sufficient to lead us to God, which surely it isn't, then let weariness be the pulley that draws you to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who put it this way, Come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and you shall find rest. Rest unto your souls. Lord Jesus, you are the only one who can give us rest. So we ask that you would help us to turn to you. Help us to cut out what we don't need to be doing. Help us to add in what things that will help us invest in the eternal so that we can know the joy, the love, the peace, and the rest that only you deliver. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.